computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. And today we welcome Andy Donaldson, an endurance swimmer who's just achieved the world record in the fastest swim time between North and South Island, New Zealand. And it's one of the shortest swims he's currently embarking on when he takes on the seven longest and largest and most brutal channel swims on the planet, taking him all around the world from the US through to New Zealand, through to Japan, it's amazing what this guy's doing and it's an absolute pleasure to have him on here as we talk about what does it take to prepare, how do you deal with the uncertainty, how do you deal with the fact that you're swimming with sharks most of the time, how do you deal with the fact that it's shark infested and it's pitch black and you've got four, five, six hour swims ahead of you. We're going to dive into all of that. Thanks for joining us on Intelligent Performance. Andy, thanks for joining us and where I'd love to start is actually where where your swimming journey began. Like, how did you fall into, or where, where did you fall in love with swimming? I guess I'm really interested in that. Uh, so it, it goes back a few years, Michael, uh, back to when I was growing up. I'm originally from the west of Scotland, and uh, very fortunately, we would go every year to Spain on on holiday as a when we were when I when I was growing up, and uh, you know, grew up in a very active and sporty family, and you know, almost every day was spent down by the beach, so. All the guys were in the water swimming and, you know, I would watch um, from the sidelines, but uh, eventually over time, followed my older sister, my older cousin into the sport of swimming. Uh, they were in local clubs uh, back in Scotland and yeah. eventually I found myself following in their footsteps. Got you. And so what, what was it about swimming or what, maybe what even current, what is it about swimming that kind of really caught you as it were? I think, you know, it was, it was always just a sport that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, I love being in the water, out in the elements, um, especially out in the open water. Um, but it's, it's, you know, a great opportunity to be, uh, for me, alone with your own thoughts. Um, you know, in today's day and age where you're always connected or, you know, you have your phone on you, emails or listening to music, it's, it's a great chance to get away from all of that and, yeah. you know, be be with with your own self, I suppose. Um, so that 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 was always a major aspect. But I, I suppose growing up, and it still applies now. Um, you know, I, I think it's that access to community and having people around doing similar things. I, I love the friendships that I've made for the sport and and that community aspect of it. Interesting. So when you think of community or like a yeah, you wouldn't necessarily think of swimming. I don't think in terms of like the um, <laughs> well, you, you, that's it. You, you think of it as a as a sort of individual sport like when you compare it to something like football back in the uk or mm. afl here but um i i think it's i think it's the the furthest thing from it interesting and what why what makes you say that just because of the camaraderie you get the build or that, that's it michael um i think that that hits the nail i mean Yes, I mean, obviously, you, you're in the water, you're not having a chat. Like, you might be if you're out on a bike in a peloton, but um, you, you're still doing an activity most of the time with others. Um, and it's it's not just the swimming, it's, you know, going for a coffee after or, um, you know, going through, if you're in a swimming pool, doing a tough session together and helping each other through it. Or if you're surrounded by a group and you're all training towards goals. It's, it's being on that journey every stroke of the way with, with 
those other people and helping them through um in, in achieving what they, they set out to achieve. So, you know, I, I, I do really think that there's great opportunities to get to know people better and and do that through swimming. Yeah, cool. Amazing. So as a kid, you you saw your family paddling around and having a, a great stuff. There's a lovely photo of you online in your in your armbands, which I thought <laughs> as a as a wee guy. So tell me through school you know you're, you're not an old guy now by any by any stretch of the imagination so like what's that when when was it something yeah what, what was happening on the journey where you started to go yeah okay there's something really special about this especially in the longer distance when did that start to transpire the longer distance stuff came a little bit later in life um throughout i suppose childhood and, and growing up in the west of scotland um i i was a pool swimmer not many of us swum in the open water because, you know, at that time, or it's it's pretty cold, so you'd have to be kind of mad to be swimming out in the, the British yeah. Isles, out in the seas there. But, uh, yeah, I you know, as I got older, I started becoming more successful in competitions. Um, I got into competitive swimming, was uh, winning medals at national level in Scotland and in Britain, uh, racing, you know, around the world for club and country. Um, and it wasn't really until I moved over to Australia um, around 10 years ago now, so in my early 20s, that I was exposed to open water swimming and the, and the longer distance stuff. Um, I was surrounded by guys in the, in the squad um, that I'd moved and joined. Um, I was surrounded by guys in the squad who were doing these big longer distance um, swims. And, you know, the, swimming here in Australia is, is such a big part of the culture and um, you know, going down to the beach at the weekend, racing in the ocean, in some of the most pristine waters in the world, you know, it's, it's quite hard to beat. So I ended up uh, making the switch across to that and, and seeking a fresh challenge by racing in the open water. And you know, I haven't haven't looked back since. And how does it compare to the kind of the cut and thrust of traditional swimming? Should we say, um, perhaps traditional is the wrong way to put it, but more like the the pool based. The very um, kind of measured approach. You know, I'm speaking to an, a, a sailing coach, and he was just explaining how sailing is is so different from when it comes to uh, like a meter per second sport, just because there's so many more variables. And I would imagine ocean swimming and open swimming is almost exactly the same. Like you've got a whole different kettle of fish, and you've also got body temperature or, or kind of sea temperature to, to tackle as well. Not to mention all the things which might live in the sea. So. I think you're spot on there, Michael. So, you know, when we when we think of traditional swimming or pool swimming, you know, it's it's in a very controlled environment. You are typically racing in a 50 meter pool and it's very result orientated. Um, there's a lot of focus on on the times that you put down. And I found as I was getting older, there was a lot more emphasis on uh, posting fast times and, you know, it was conditional, like, it's the there was external pressures on you to to perform and hit certain times during the year. So you might get a tap from a coach, and he's made this expectation that you need to hit a certain time. Um, if you don't, you might lose your funding, for example. Uh, whereas something like open water, especially the racing aspect, as you mentioned, like sailing, there's a lot of different uh, factors involved. You know the weather, um, you know. Is the course even the right size if it's a 10 kilometer race? Because 
you've got the cans out there in the ocean and if it's a rough day, they might move around. So all these different things that might come into play. So the time isn't really um, as important. It's, it's more about the racing and getting from A to B as fast as possible. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I really love that, you know, mix up and it brought it back to the bare basics and, and it was all about racing, which, you know, I love and, and trying to get the best out of yourself. Interesting. And so was it, do they still have that, like that performance focus when you're doing this kind of like the, the longer distance? Is it, is it, is it? Is it that kind of because it sounds like you hear some scare stories, and I think there was some in the in the British swimming teams where you know people are kind of body shamed around what's not having the you know fat levels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, is it is it similar in terms of like you kind of you do take a lot of that into ocean swimming, or is it is it very much like a whole different kettle of fish and start over? So when it when it comes to ocean swimming um, and open water, there's I suppose you could loosely um split it into certain sections um for the olympic games uh the the 10 kilometer open water race is is the is the key event um and you might have a field anywhere from 20 swimmers up to you know maybe 60 to 100 um all vying for you know positions there so it can be quite physical and again it's it's probably a bit more similar to that elite swimming um pool swimming sort of pathway that you do have the national coaches and, and that's where you might hear the stories of you know the the body shaming or the, there's that kind of um environment around it where they're trying to get athletes to the best they can be and unfortunately things like that might might come up and the other sort of i suppose aspect to um, open water or pathway, let's call it, is um, the marathon swimming and, and channel swimming. So things like the English Channel, which you know, it's it's not something that someone training for the Olympics is going to perhaps have their eye on because it doesn't count towards. It's not in you know the elite circuit, for example. There's no prize money for doing an English Channel swim. It's not going to get you selection on the Olympic Games. But you know, for other people. You know that's the Everest of swimming, and it's it's again it's a totally different thing. It, it's not a race. It's um, something that you swim out there on your own. You have your support boat that goes along beside you, and it's mostly about getting from A to B, ideally as, as quickly and as safely as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I really want to dig in then around the actual performance elements so naturally this podcast is called the intelligent perform uh, yeah, intelligent performance podcast and our focus is really what we love hearing is how people think about their performance in in some way so if i put it in to you as a question how do you think about intelligent performance when it comes to long distance swimming what does that how how would you interpret that I think it's it's a good question. Um, so just just to clarify, I'm I'm mostly focused on that latter type of swimming, the channel swimming. And for me, intelligence, intelligent performance encapsulates quite a lot of things. Um, I'll, I'll sum it up uh, perhaps in in a phrase that was that was um, a friend of mine had told me when I was growing up, and he he'd said this. He said, "Andy, hard work will always get you somewhere." but smart work will get you further. And 
So if I was to think of intelligent performance, I think it's exactly that, you know, approaching something like this um, with good preparation, trying to think outside the box, looking for the one percenters and being as prepared as possible so that when you're actually out there executing, that's what you're doing. You're not thinking about all these other things and the what ifs or have I done this because you've already planned, you've already prepared and you know, you, you know it inside out that on the day you can simply turn up and and get to work. And so that's that's how I see intelligent performance. And it means that during, let's say, one of these channel storms, if anything does come up that's, um, you know, a curveball or, you know, a challenge, you and your team have already thought about it and are equipped to react in a certain way that, will continue to sort of maximize your performance for the remainder of this one. Very cool. I love that answer. And yeah, it's it's funny how smart work often outcompetes hard work. <laughs> time and time again, isn't it? It's um, and I, but just thinking about the mental side. So just actually maybe before we dive into that, can you share a little bit about the kind of your three swims through pretty epic seven swim challenge can you just tell us what that is more broadly and how you think about it because it sounds like that's like the olympic game equivalent for people who are into this hardcore swimming <laughs> approach so just just share a bit about that yeah that's it so you know as, as i was explaining you've got the in open water swimming you've got the i suppose the olympic pathway which is mostly this 10 kilometer event and it's a race versus channel swimming, marathon swimming, where it's mostly about getting from A to B um, safely and as quickly as possible. Uh, there's a compilation of channel swims which are regarded to be the seven toughest in the world, and they form something called the Ocean Seven. Uh, it's a collection of swims like the English Channel uh, from England to France, the North Channel, which is from Ireland to Scotland, uh, the Strait of Gibraltar from Spain to Morocco, uh, the Molokai Channel over in Hawaii, so between two of the islands. Um, the Suguru Strait in Japan, which is again between Honshu and Hokkaido. And the Cook Strait over in New Zealand between the South and the North Island. And the Catalina Channel, which is over in Los Angeles. And so these are swims that are all marathon in distance, um, ranging anywhere from, I think it's around 15 kilometers, right up to about 45 um, and in order to do them, um, you know, swimmers, it's, it's very traditional. So swimmers aren't allowed to use wetsuits. So you're doing these in your speedos or in your swimming costume. Um, it's all, I think, to sort of adhere to um, the Marathon Swimming Federation standards. So they're based on the very first guy that did the English Channel, a guy called Captain Matthew Webb. Uh, back in the 1800s and, and they've tried to maintain that and again that that you know for anyone in, in the uk they'll know how cold the water is it, it, it presents such a huge challenge uh, an aspect to to what we're doing here with the ocean seven so um i've embarked on this challenge i'm, I'm currently three swims into it uh, of the seven and and the whole idea was to try and do uh, all seven of these swims within the space of a year to raise money and awareness for mental health wow okay 15 to 45k i was going to try and impress you by saying i did about 500 meters on the weekend but i uh <laughs> so i oh, said so tell us tell us about that like 
first of all, like when did it strike you that this is a good idea? It was a bit of um it was a bit of chance, to be honest, Michael. So um I'll need to take a bit of a step back. After I moved to Australia, I was racing the 10 kilometer event down that Olympic pathway. And unfortunately, I, I never had a chance to um qualify or race at an Olympic Games. Um and I ended up giving away the sport back in 2016. Um, I, I took a number of years to focus on my career and getting my chartered accounting qualifications. And uh, really, swimming kind of fell to the background for, for a good number of years. Um, I found myself getting back to the sport in 2020 during lockdown. Um, you know, obviously, it was a time where many things were closed. The pools were closed and, and people were stuck at home. Uh, but one of the things you were allowed to do was get into the water, uh, go down the beach and, and go for a swim. And so together with um, another guy, a chap and a mentor of mine called Martin Smoothie, we were going for swims along the coast. And over time, I started getting quite fit. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'd love to revisit a few of my um, unfulfilled goals. And, and one of those goals was to try and win one of the local races here in Perth, West Australia called uh, the Rottnest Channel Swim. So that was a 20-kilometre race from Coddesloe Beach in Perth over to Rottnest Island, um, you know, 20 kilometres out at sea. And, you know, when we were talking about intelligent performance, I was getting back into swimming after, you know, X number of years out, out of the sport and trying to win a race that was highly competitive. You know, there were people on the Australian Dolphins team entered for that swim who, you know, haven't exactly, you know, taken years out of the water. They've been training diligently through this time. Uh, were racing for their country on the on the world stage. And so that that mantra of having to train hard but also smart uh, really, really meant quite a lot during that period of time because my coach, my swim coach, you know, he said to me, look, it's, it's not going to be easy, but maybe we can work smarter than these guys. Um, and so through that journey, it was a 10-month um, preparation time. I ended up winning um, winning that race with a good 700-meter lead on the next person. Um, and through that process, we'd also raised, I think it was about $9,000 for a mental health charity. And so... It was. It was. It was an incredible process, an incredible journey back into swimming, and from there, we'd also raised this uh, sum of money for a, a, an incredible charity and uh, a really wonderful cause. And I thought, you know what? Whilst I'm still quite young and I've got this fitness and and swimming form, I'd, I'd love to use it right now and, and see if I can do something on a bigger scale and, and use swimming as a vehicle to to help others. And that was the genesis behind. Uh, the Ocean 7. So if we can, let's just go back a step into that training program that if we're smarter here, we can end with a good result. What Can you talk a bit about what were the kind of, what were the differences that you th- perhaps thought m- most people w- would do or you were doing to, to what you actually did? Where, where did you start? Where did you start to see that, yeah, this actually really could pay off if we execute on this strategy? So when... When we approached the swimming side of things, um, we were looking at swimming, but also things like recovery, injury prevention, nutrition, all of those extra one percenters that were going to not just help you on the day, but you know, um, 
I think when it comes to performance, it's it's not how hard you can go in one session, but it's more how hard you can go over a sustained period of time over multiple sessions. So, um, you know, I, I was 29 turning 30 at the time, so actually not going hell for leather every, every session and ensuring, promoting good recovery, eating well, getting enough sleep, having a good balanced lifestyle. These were all important things that allowed us to, you know, perform as best as we could day in, day out in each session. Um, if I was to drill down into the actual swimming itself, you know, if the competition that we were going to be up against, they were on that Olympic pathway really focusing on the 10-kilometer event, whereas Rotnest um, is a 20K swim, so double the distance. So we were trying to think of things that maybe they weren't focusing on. So, for example, what happens in the last five kilometers? when your arms start turning to lead, like if these guys aren't preparing or really spending that much time focusing on that, maybe we could. So I would, you know, I'd do a gym session before swimming and, and really work the arms so that it replicated that fatigue in the arms when we came to the pool and my brain would knew, like know exactly how that feeling felt before we actually experienced it on the day. Yeah. Or, you know, we were focusing on on technique and making sure that each stroke is, you know, immaculate and, and maximizing uh, what it can in terms of propulsion. Because if you think of the number of swimming strokes that you're going to take in a 20 kilometer swim or in a four hour swim, it really adds up. So that 0.01% improvement over that amount of time really does make such a difference. So things like that and, and training at... Training high quality, um, you know, training at the paces that we want, or not even at the paces, probably faster than the paces that we wanted to hold on the day, so that on the day when we were going at that speed, it, it would feel a lot easier. Wow. Uh, things like that. That's what what we were trying to do. And uh, during this ten month run up to the Rotness Channel Swimming, you know, I think a lot of it paid off and. Uh, you know the the result kind of speaks for itself there. So brutal in terms of the approach, like, and so. But I'm intrigued, like, just on that piece of that leap of faith with your coach. Like, if what was that process like for you? Like, knowing that it sounds like you obviously you, you trust this guy a lot, and you can see the reasoning in it. How did you navigate some of that uncertainty? You would have felt like you, you're gonna you're gonna focus on this for 10 months of the year it's going to be it's going to be pretty horrific i would imagine parts where you're doing a massive gym session and you know swimming with lead arms ain't, ain't that fun at the rest of the time so like what was that like for you in terms of like dealing with that uncertainty not knowing it was going to pay off but being committed to the process i think committed to the process is is probably the perfect words there and um the other one i would add is trust i, I think in any of these kind of relationships um you know athlete coach ones in particular there needs to be trust both ways that you've both bought in and um you know trust you're both trusting each other and trusting the process so when when i started down this path you know i, I approached my coach and uh, an irish guy called owen carroll and i told him this idea that i wanted to get back into swimming and try pull off you know what seemed to be quite an impossible achievement or or task and you know it, it, credit to him he, he didn't turn around and say you know that's that can't be done um or you're mad um it was more look 
I think this is possible, but know that it's going to be a tough ride, you know, a tough journey. Um, I don't want you to decide on this right now, but have a think because I don't want us to go through this these next 10 months and for you to look back and feel any regret that you've made this decision. Um, I want you to buy in. Um, we, we both buy into this and this is how I think we can do it. Uh, and whatever happens, happens. You know, if we go through this process and it doesn't come together, we can't ask for it anymore because we've given it our all. And so that was that was actually really good because it just meant that whatever happened on the day, you know, you've, you've prepared as best as you can. And there's so many things outside of your control that like you can't control how fast these other guys are going to go. You can't control the weather. So we just focused on what we can do or we could do. And and luckily for, enough for us, it, it was it all came together very well and, and resulted in a swim that almost broke um, the Channel Swim record. Wow. Incredible. So, and talking of swims which have broken records, your most recent one across the Cook Strait actually did, right? And by the time people hear this, you'll also be in Hawaii, I think it is, doing the next one. So talk to us about the Cook Strait. Like, what's the challenging thing about that about that swim what like you, you say that scotland's cold new zealand's not exactly renowned for tropical waters either <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's right michael so um the cook strait is between the south and the north island of new zealand um you know that that was third of these ocean seven swims that i've done so after rotness you know i committed to doing this things went well in the english channel things went well well were quite challenging in the north channel but you know, I could draw on that experience and draw on those learning, uh, those learnings, and, and bring it into this swim with with the Cook Strait. It's a very tidal crossing, so if you think of where it is, it's it's really the only place where water is passing from one side of New Zealand through to the other, um, and so it's a 22, 23 kilometer crossing. So you know, it's, it, there's not that much space for all this water to pass through. So it just gives you an idea of, of the strength of the current. So that's one of the major challenges of that swim. It's, it's very tidal, but also you've got water temperatures, which are, you know, as you said, down there in a similar temperature range to Scotland. So 14 degrees, um, you know, a normal swimming pool is probably about 26. So <laughs> it's, it's a fair bit, uh, fair bit colder. Um, and the wind is a real problem there. So anyone that's been to Wellington knows it as Windy Wellington. And the channel almost, it, the Cook Strait almost acts like a wind channel or a wind tunnel uh, for wind passing through that area. So I ended up flying across to Wellington at the start of February and the weather was just not playing ball. So another one of these differences between uh, traditional pool swimming and, and these marathon swims is unlike traditional swimming where you know pretty much which day you're going to be racing almost down to the minute perhaps something like this is the exact opposite you know you might have a, a sort of spread of days where you're expecting to get out there it, it might line up with um, the more favorable tides which are called neap tides um, but there's so many factors and influences involved that you don't really know when you're going to go so there's a lot of uncertainty and what happened for us, I flew out to Wellington and any day that was sort of looking half decent, 
the skipper would give me a call and say, all right, I think I think we might be out on Tuesday and, you know, Friday would pass, Saturday would pass, Sunday would pass, and you're getting quite amped up. And then on the Monday, oh, no, the weather's changed. Can't go. Just, oh. just sit tight. Jeez. And so you've got this kind of emotional roller coaster sitting around waiting for your swim. Yeah. Uh, and so the the me- there's a mental aspect to that as well, like staying, being ready to go, you know, like that, but also staying calm and, you know, not getting overexcited or, you know, if it's not the news that you want to hear, being yeah. able to swim is one thing, but even the preparations, a huge challenge in itself as well. Okay. Yeah. I... <laughs> Just brutal, and so, so it sounded like the weather turned. It came, it came good for a for a bit. Is there was the weather perfect, or was it just like it's good enough? Is that what you're looking for? I think it depends what you're trying to do. I, I think for me, because I'm trying to do all of these in a year, we're of the opinion, uh, and when I say we, my, my team and I, you know, we, we'll kind of take whatever we can get. Um, you know, obviously, it's nice to to chase records and set fast times, but in reality, you know, I can't be sitting around waiting for two months for the perfect day and for the stars to align. So at this point, very fortunately, I, I did have the flexibility to wait in New Zealand. Some lovely, lovely local swimmers allowed me to stay with them, a woman called Sarah Harrow and her family. So that was very fortunate that the Wellington swimming community were so kind and, and welcoming. and. After having been there for about three weeks, the skipper was kind of saying to me, like, look, you've been here for a while. I've got a suggestion on a possible swim date. You might not like it. Um, it's on a spring tide, which, um, to, to go into a bit of detail, there's two types of tides. Most um, generally speaking, there's neat tides and spring tides. The neat tides, um, it's all to do with lunar cycles, and they're typically um, sort of, there's less water moving through a particular channel at that time. So it means that the tides are a bit weaker versus the spring tides where there's a lot more water movement and less predictability, essentially. So he'd called me up and he just said, look, next Monday, there's a window where the weather looks actually quite okay. The winds are calm. However, it's on a spring tide and we'd be setting off at midnight and swimming through the dark. And so I, I just <laughs> that's uh, that's lovely because you know not only are you swimming in a spring tide, which quite a lot of people thought was impossible to do. Like I'd spoken to a few of the huh. local swimmers, and and they told me that they they said it doesn't matter how good you are, and you'll get stuck on swimming on the same spot or swimming backwards because of the strength of the tides. So. There was that, there was swimming in the dark, but also the knowledge that there might be sharks out there as well. So it was this sort of triple whammy of of <laughs> challenging aspects to this swim that, that we were having to kind of deal with and, and mentally be okay with. So that was, you know, <laughs> before you even get to the start line, you've got all this kind of, uh, how would you word it, like kind of challenge or adversity. Uh, to face and, and kind of process before you even get get going. So talk us through that. It's, it's your it's, it sounds like well you did it. So I'm interested to know like how do you even prepare for for that? Like swimming is hard, 
swimming at night would be nigh impossible because when you're ocean swimming from the little bit I've done, you can feel like you're not making any progress whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so what what were you thinking as even to take us to it? Or what you when you're in the water, what what's that like? As you just kind of, you literally could feel like you're treading water, right? I'll, I'll I'll split that up into you know mindset in the lead up to it and mindset during. So in the lead up to it, you know there's. I'll take it back to the people that are kind of commenting on what you're about to do and saying that it's impossible to swim in a spring tide or, or whatever it was. Everyone's got their opinion. And I, I think you'd be kind of naive not to register that feedback and, and take it on board. Um, but ultimately, it's up to you to determine how you process it and how you react to it. And, and luckily for me, I was surrounded by some good people. Like I had my my teammates across with me, uh, Sarah Harrow and Jackson Arledge, and the organizers, the skipper, the the guys, the organizers from Infinity Channel Swimming, and you know I I sort of spoke through any concerns with them, got got them out in the air, and we discussed them, acknowledged them, and and came up with plans of action on how we would deal with it. So the darkness was obviously one of the things that we thought was you know a challenge. So we came up with plans of how we could communicate during that because, you know, you're right, like you don't want to feel that you're out there on your own or isolated. So I wanted to make sure that the boat was always staying right beside me. I could see the guys on the boat. We were communicating using a whiteboard. We'd uh, decided that we would stop every 15 minutes to take on nutrition and feeds. Um, and that extra interaction with people would kind of be a good reminder that, right, you're not out there on your own. So I think that really helped. Uh, that that was really good for for getting us to the start line. Mm. And then when in the water, um, just before I jumped in, so the the boat took us out to the boat was based in Picton, and it's a two hour ride out to the start line. So again, need to stay calm, don't overthink, just. Stay relaxed. And we're out there at the start line. I think it was about quarter to 12. And I look up and, you know, it's just the most perfect night. Just completely wow. calm, stars, clear skies, full moon. And, you know, I just, you know, it, it was one of those moments in life that you won't forget and just sort of think, whatever happens here, this is this is quite a surreal experience. And if it goes well, great. If not, you know, how many people in the world have ever done something like this? So, you know, that's it. Like coming back to that, focus on the things that you can control. And we came up with a really solid sort of swim plan and approach that we were going to take. We were going to work quite hard in the first hour uh, to get out of the coast and away from any localized currents, but also finish quite hard again, because we were aware that there might be quite strong currents there. So I just, I knew what we needed to do. Jumped into the water. And it was, it was just, we'd addressed all the concerns. We had a plan and it was just a matter of execution. So started swimming, got out, pulled up beside the boat. The boat was motoring along beside us. And yeah, I suppose I just got, got to work. Wow. And are you two and a half hours in, three hours in, you've been... <laughs> 
you, you, you still got a long way to go on the other side, right? It's not exactly like, you know, an hour and a half would probably feel like a, you know, the arms are starting to get tired, bloody cold. It's, it's funny. I mean, it's when I was in swimming, like the time just went like that. Like, I think. Wow. I think for me, you know, well, well, we were feeding every 15 minutes. So same in the same fashion that a marathon runner will take on drinks in swimming. It's not it's, it's pretty much the same. Um, someone on the boat will pass down a bottle. You turn on your back, take a drink and, and pass it back up to them. So I was feeding every 15 minutes. So I was having fairly regular interaction with the guys, but it also allowed me to keep track of how far we were, um, how much time had been had elapsed. And every hour, the guys were passing down or writing on, on the whiteboard how far we'd travelled. And so getting these updates were great. And so through the first hour, I had in my mind, if I've gone around 4.5 kilometres, that's very good. And we'd gone 5.2. So I'm thinking, right, geez, that's all right. Um, but I didn't want to get too ahead of myself because I thought, right, anything can happen out here. The, the tides can turn. Um, we might enter into a deep patch of water, which might slow us down, all these kind of things. So it was, it was about staying calm, staying focused, and just, you know, continuing on with the work. We got to the two-hour mark, the distance update came down again, and it was uh, 11 kilometers this time. So I'm thinking in my head, geez, that's, again, fantastic. Like that is, I was thinking, you know, anything around the 10K mark would be out of this world, and we're even further than that. So... Um, but again, we, we still have a job to do. Let's not count our chickens before they've hatched. And it wasn't really until um, around three hours 45. So the guys didn't give me an update at three hours, which was a bit annoying, but it, it is what it is. But they gave one at three hours 45. And <laughs> at this point, it said uh, 2.5 kilometers to you. And I'm just thinking, Jesus, that's that's amazing. And And that was the first time I really thought, right, we're on for this record. Um, the record was four hours 37. And doing the maths, I pretty much had 50 minutes to get into the finish with 2.5 Ks to go. Um, so at that point, I'm thinking, right, let's just go hell for leather at this and, and let's get it done. At that point in time, though, the, the tide is starting to change and it's starting to sweep us further and further south. So... Like I mentioned, every 15 minutes is the feeds so we can track our time. You know, I think three feeds had passed and we weren't finished yet when if it was in a normal swimming pool, I'd, I'd probably be home and dry. So I knew it was getting quite close and I could see the guys on the boat. They were writing down messages asking me to go faster. Pick up the pace. Can you pick up the pace? They were starting to become a bit more animated and I'm thinking, right, this one's going to go right down to the wire. And, uh, you know, in the North Channel was four minutes off the world record and the Rottnest Channel Swimmer was four minutes off the record there. Well, luckily this time, you know, got across and it got four minutes under the record. So it was it was a nice change being on the right side of it. And, uh, you know, luckily it got in and it had all come together really well. But like, like I said, it, it could have all been so different and... You never know until you're really on the other end what's going to happen out there because there's just so many um, factors involved in a in a channel swim. Phenomenal, phenomenal, and and I love the um, yeah the humility and the control. And, and I actually want to link straight to that actually. So you're doing these swims, raising raising money for Black Dog, 
mental health charity down under, I believe, or is it, are they global too? They're, they're global. So, um, yeah, raise, raising money and awareness for mental health and the charity I've chosen to um, fundraise for is the Black Dog Institute. Um, they're an Australian-based charity, um, but they have a, a global reach and what they do is they're really prominent in the mental health research space. So, you know, for me, swimming something that's been really impactful on my mental health and, and well-being. And I just thought there was a lot of synergies there. I thought it was um, a really great charity doing amazing things. And, you know, mental health as an issue uh, right now, I think, is, is very important and perhaps one of the, the biggest issues and, and challenges for perhaps our generation. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. And can you just share, Andy, from what you've just <laughs> recalled and talked us through, there were, you'd probably fair to say you're like got to be super strong mentally to do that, right? And whatever that kind of looks like, certainly an incredible level of robustness. Why? Tell us a bit about your experience with mental health, because I'm sure people would be forgiven for thinking that surely someone with your capabilities wouldn't go down this kind of negative spiral what what is it what does it mean to you in in terms of this what's been your experience and and yeah what what do you think people should take away from it I guess yeah I think one of the things with with mental health and mental illnesses is it's it's something that doesn't discriminate like it it can really happen to anyone so um you know in my life I've I've known a lot of good people that have had depression and and struggles with their mental health um my my grandfather who was a big uh, inspiration in my life really really had his tough times um and yeah i i had my struggles too so um you know after i quit swimming back in 2016 um i really struggled to process that and i had this big void in my life uh, going from i suppose almost a full-time athlete um who was an accountant as well but the focus was swimming all the way completely removing yourself from from the sport so I had a few years where I probably wasn't, you know, living with that much of a balanced lifestyle. I was head deep into my uh, into my chartered accounting studies and financial planning studies, and, and I suppose burning the candle a little bit there. Um, and yeah, I think when when you go through that, it's it's not easy, and it, it can be quite isolating, and and you can feel like you're alone, and um, it is hard to kind of reach out and ask for help. And unfortunately for me, I, I did have some really good people around me who um, I could chat to and ultimately encouraged me to get back into swimming as, as a, as a tool for, or not just, you know, um, the, the physical aspect of it, but for the, for the mental benefits that it brings as well. And so, yeah, that was, that was really what I saw. I, I saw a lot of alignments and similarities uh, between mental health that mental aspect and and these swims like i think you know if i was to look back uh say something for example like the the north channel over in scotland in the middle of that i got really cold and you know it was a it was a challenge that we knew might come up but i hadn't really experienced before and i was trying to do it all on my own and using all these tools that i'd learned over the years like you know breathing in and out slowly or positive self-mental talk and none none of that was working I was just getting really cold the body was shutting down the arms were getting heavy and I you know I I kind of 
realise that I've got this team beside me on, on this boat, they might be able to help. So I, I in between strokes, I, I shouted up to them. And I was like, guys, I'm feeling cold, feeling heavy, uh, but I've got a lot of energy. <laughs> so, <laughs> which was which was good. And, you know, instantly the whiteboard comes down and it's, you know, message received, uh, warmer feeds are on the way. So warmer nutrition, they were, they were heating up the, the drinks. And we made a few small changes uh, to the nutrition. Like we, we've made them a lot hotter and more frequent. And that helped us through. Um, I got through that cold patch. I started picking up speed again. Um, and, you know, from being in a position where I, I didn't think I could manage swimming another, you know, 15 minutes, I, we managed to swim another six hours. And Bloody hell. <laughs> came, came within four minutes of breaking the world record. And oh, man. It was a great reminder that, you know, like life, these challenges might come your way and yeah. you don't always have to face them on your own. Like there's people around you and it's much easier when you've got these people helping you through those tough times. That is an awesome metaphor there, Andy. The uh, the proverbial boat next to you. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like it's 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 literally coming to your rescue. So um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's quite it's quite surreal. Like all of these swims are teaching something out, like something different. Like it was all of this challenge before the swim had actually begun, and you know the the North Channel was you know the challenges that occurred in the middle of it. But every time it seems to come back to being surrounded by good people and and having their support through those tough times and. Um, helping like it, it, it's just immeasurable the, the difference that it makes awesome andy i think um an amazing place to leave the conversation actually in terms of um yeah just i think you're right absolutely right and i think it's really it can be really tough to reach out to the boat as it were you know take something sometimes you know especially when you think you can only see 15 minutes ahead or you're not even sure you can do that and yeah, to go six hours on top of that, that that's just extraordinary. I was I was not expecting that twist to the story. <laughs> so, well, it um, was it was um, it was it was quite quite bizarre. Like I, I was three hours in, and I'd never been in that position where I'm only a third of the way through it, so not even halfway. And I'm thinking, I need to get like I can't keep going. I'm I'm really at the brink here. Um, so you know, to to turn it around from there, it's it. it, it gives a lot of confidence that I've been able to bring into not just into swimming, but into other areas of life as well. And I think that's yeah. the beauty of sport that you have these experiences that um, and learn these skills that are transferable into into other areas. Awesome. Well, Andy, we, we wish you the very best of luck for the next four. You crazy, crazy man. Um, I think it's incredible what you're doing. I think it's awesome that you're doing it for a cause. And I think it's... Um, yeah, you've been incredibly eloquent sharing it with us. So thank you. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, we'll link to your pages and uh, Insta and, and similar. So if people want to follow the journey, I think, and I'm sure you've you've certainly garnished a couple of fans, including myself, from this conversation. So thank you, Andy. It's been been awesome. Thank you very much for, for having me on here, Michael. It's been a pleasure.